0: welcome to the beer vana podcast once again jeff hey patrick <laughs> here we are at the falcon arts building in the studio of x-ray fm it still says fm but they're on am now too go that's find right. them
1: that's right somewhere i wrote down the uh band 1360 on your am dial from salem to the tacoma or
0: something <laughs> Battlegrounds. Bellingham. All the way to Bellingham. Is that right? Battlegrounds almost a (laughs) comma. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) This is the second in a series of extra special pods uh, where we sit down with uh, uh, important and interesting uh, figures in the Bend Brewing scene. We were there recently. and We were there a while ago. Recently. (laughs) Uh, And yeah, and had an opportunity to sit down with four very interesting people. And this is the second. Today, we're going to sit down with Larry Sador, who is the
1: uh, founder of Crux Brewing. Right. And Larry has been uh, in the brewing scene since the early 1970s. He's been brewing in the Pacific Northwest. So he is an interesting, interesting guy. And uh, he talks a lot about his nearly 50 years in the brewing industry.
0: Cool. In case you didn't know, uh, that person there is Jeff Hallworth. He's the author of lots of amazing beer books. Uh, many of them on audiobook, it turns out. Uh, uh, not many, too, in, Including the Beer Bible and the Widmer Way. <laughs> it's funny that the Beer Bible's not, but Secrets of the Master Brewers is. Yeah, Apparently, a... don't look for that one.
1: Don't it, I, <laughs> Unless you want recipes read to you. <laughs> yeah, it's not an ideal uh, uh, reading experience. However, I did the audiobook for uh, the Widmer Way. And if it's available, you can see that. Um, the um, pod. can't can't recommend it but uh, <laughs> the podcast is any indicate well yeah, exactly caveat emptor you that, know what you're getting that's huh? right <laughs> you have a sense of my uh my verbal stylings so uh yeah, uh, you yeah like. i hope
0: you did rob and kurt's accents and i did i did not well, but i well rob <laughs> what should we do should we throw in more more
1: um, yes, Kurt. We should. Um, I would. I would pay for that. Yeah, I know you would. But I, fortunately, I did not humiliate myself that way. So no, too bad. Yeah. No, well, I buy anyway. Probably didn't. You that might want to get it. the
0: print version, but you know.
1: Yeah. With me is Patrick Emerson. He is an uh, uh, econ
0: prof at Oregon State University. You know the beautiful thing? I'm not right now. From June 15th to September
1: 15th. Well, you I'm sp- just a. I'm just back in the civilian life. <laughs> you're, you're still in a. You're, you still are a professor. Well, that's true. Yeah. But you're inactive. Excellent. Yeah, it allows me to do
0: things like go to bed and drink beer. That's right. Uh, and of course, as always, we have Will Romy in the in the booth with us. Well, not in the booth with us, but in, at, at the board, on the at the controls. That's right. Captain Will Romy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> engage. All okay, right. So let's- uh, Everything that's good about this pod comes from him. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The stuff <laughs> in the booth. Everything in the booth is crap. Yeah. Everything outside the booth is what makes it better. That's right. Yeah. Put a polish on the crap. So uh, we shouldn't delay. We should talk uh, about uh, Larry Sidor and Crux Brewing. Uh, Crux started as a brew pub in town. Uh, now he's got a big production facility, which is where he where we met him. Yep. Uh, and uh, he actually gave us a tour, uh, and then we sat down for the interview. We'll play the interview now, and we'll and we'll talk about the the tour and and everything else at the end. Yeah. Let's let's listen to Larry, and then we'll come back and chat. Sounds good.
1: All right, well, we are here in uh, Bend, Oregon, beautiful Bend, Oregon, with Larry Sador, who is the uh, founder, master brewer, what's, what, at Crux, what, yeah. what titles would you apply? I like
2: master brewer. Okay. That, that's what I like to do, so I think that's a good title.
1: Yeah, I think yeah. that's a good title, and you're one of those, those folks who actually has had the experience that you probably qualify as a master brewer, not a guy who just opened his own brewery. Yeah,
2: I've been, I've been at <laughs> it. Coming close to 50 years.
1: Yeah, let's start there. Let's let's hear uh, where you got started and uh, kind of the early years.
2: So so where I got started was Oregon State University. Okay. So I started out as a mechanical engineer. My uncle was a VP of Boeing, and I was going to design airplanes. And uh, anyway, toss up between Oregon State and University of Washington, which one I go to. And anyway, so I started there. And after my first year, this little sign in Seattle popped up. Would the last person to leave Seattle turn off the lights? <laughs> <laughs> and I went, hmm. Talked to my uncle, and he goes like, you know, Larry, being an engineer, you're going to be moving around a lot. Right. And I went, hmm. So I went back to my advisor and said, you know, who would, who in school gets the most job offers? And he said, food science majors. Hmm. So signed up for that. And... and uh, uh, started down a pathway of uh, working in the wine industry mm-hmm. and I worked for a guy named Hoya Yang who was the enologist at the time and would go around to the different winery, well the three different wineries in Oregon at the time And collect uh, uh, must or grapes and uh, would ferment them at Oregon State using different yeast cultures. Because they were looking for, you know, most of the wine cultures at the time were for very low acid uh, wines. And Oregon produces high acid grapes, so they need something that will kind of take care of that. So anyway, so I worked with him. And I was going to start a a winery, but... um, Somehow I should have taken more business classes. <laughs> so I, I loaded up my uh, 122s Volvo, headed up to Alaska. Gonna make a uh, uh, work in the pipeline, generate a bunch of money, come back to Oregon, buy some land and a tractor, and make some wine.
1: And uh, what what era are we in? What year? Oh, is that this? would
2: have been 1973. Okay. And uh, anyway, so I stopped at the Red Barn Tavern in Tumwater, Washington to uh, meet with a friend of mine that was an assistant brewmaster at uh, Olympia Brewing. And he proceeded to work on me for the whole night on going to work for Olympia, and I wasn't having any part of it till. <laughs> Till 2 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) It started to make sense. Yeah. We we took a tour of Olympia Brewing Company. Well, it started out Friday night, but it was actually Saturday morning by that time. So graveyard shift, and the place was like the cleanest place in the world, the best engineered, the happiest people. I'm going like, why wouldn't I work here? Anyway, so that's how I ended up at Olympia. Mm -hmm. and. You know, 23 years later, I uh, moved on, but it was a fantastic place to work.
1: And how big was Olympia at that time?
2: It was uh, four, about 4.3, 4.5 million barrels. Wow. So, you know, here's a little known fact. Back in that era, there was, uh, guess, guess how many barrels of beer were produced in the Northwest at that time?
1: In the Northwest.
2: Yeah, so that would it be Rainier, Olympia, Heidelberg, Lucky Lager, Weinhardt, right. uh, type thing.
1: I think Blitz was a million barrel brewery, so we're up to five. <laughs> uh, I don't
2: know. Seven million barrels. Wow. Seven, seven and a half million barrels. Guess how many barrels we produce in the Northwest now.
1: Whew. Uh, I, I'm going to say seven million barrels.
2: Nope. <laughs> we might be up to three. Okay. Okay. La- last time I really checked, I four, we were just yeah. just going over two something. Yeah. yeah. And it wasn't that long ago, it was only a million barrels. Right. Uh-huh. So think about that. You know, the majority of the beer gets imported into the Northwest. You don't think
1: about it yeah. right.
2: from from those terms. Yeah. So
1: And we still have those brands, but they're not made here anymore. Which no, is, they're yeah,
2: they're made in wherever. Yeah. I mean, I don't uh, get me going down that
1: yeah. So I have an interesting story to tell. I shouldn't do this, but um, I I just wrote a biography of Robin Kurt Widmer. Yeah. And when they were starting their brewery, they came to Olympia where you had your boneyard, mm-hmm. and they told a story about you, where they would they they would go to the boneyard and say, "Oh, that's a great looking whatever," and you'd say, "No, oh, no, no, you can't have that." <laughs> and they said. Larry was already trying to build his own brewery there. He was, like, keeping all this stuff off limits. We couldn't get a hold of it. I don't know if that's true from your side. But no, I...
2: that's absolutely true. Yeah, that's to, to uh, you know, confirm that conversation, all you have to do is talk to my wife because we hauled all this equipment around here and there, and uh, you don't see so much of it around here. There's a little of it around here, but if you, when you go to the, our pub, there's a significant amount of stainless and this and that, that that I've been hauling around for years. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, no, that's true. And and I, you know, in the um, '80s, I sold a lot of equipment to you name it. Uh, whether it was Bird Grant or mm-hmm. it was uh, Red Hook or Full Sail or the Widmer Brothers, Carl uh, Ockert uh, uh-huh. you know. It, it, great story is I was in, when I was building Crux, I was up in uh, Portland picking up some uh, items and I uh, uh, just happened to run into a Jeff uh, 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 Edgerton mm-hmm. and we were having lunch. He says, hey, you want to look at our boneyard, Larry? And I go, sure. And uh, anyway, so we did and he goes mm-hmm. like, you know, This is your equipment, you see, (laughs) from Olympia, and when I I use the term sold, it's pretty loose, because (laughs) all I really did was give uh, give the equipment to uh, the uh, craft brewers and charge them enough that it kept the Olympia accountants happy, Mm -hmm. and so... Basically, the the accounts would tell me that Stainless is selling for, you know, 13 cents a pound now. So i kind of weigh it and go, okay, well, I need 13 cents for that or, you know, whatever it was. Right. So, yeah, so that's that's a true story.
1: Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, I mean, it goes to show how uh, in the Northwest, the we, we had regional breweries here, which really helped, I think, create the opportunity for craft brewers in a lot of ways. And this is one of the ways in which... If you were a small craft brewer someplace else, you didn't have a big brewery to go to and look for this stuff. So. Well, they were they were
2: actually shunned. So one of, one of the stories I love to tell is that um, um, district northwestern of the master brewers is the strongest district in the world of really? master brewers, and I I would like to claim that it came from. Uh, Conversation where I uh, I welcomed in uh, folks like uh, John Harris and uh, Carl Ockert and uh, Dan Carey and and folks like that. Right. And um, I was I ended up being president of the Master Brewers, so I was very instrumental in in welcoming and bringing them in and. And sharing things with them, and uh, the uh, the VP of Operations of Olympia called me into the office one day and said, Larry, do you know what you're doing with these <laughs> ponytailed flip-flop guys making beer in their kitchen? <laughs> and I looked at him and I went, absolutely. And he looked at me and went, okay. <laughs> see, see you later, and he was obviously not happy with my my answer. But in the long run, it it you know I would say it saved the uh, the brewing industry in the Northwest, or yeah. let it let the Northwest brewing um, culture just really grow faster than any other district and area in the in the nation.
1: That's really interesting. I, that's a story <clears throat> I've never heard. So that's another dimension of all the advantages we had in the Northwest. Yeah. Yeah. So when you left Olympia did you 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 did something between there and Deschutes is that right Right I went to
2: work for um, for Hopsteiner Yeah and I did that I was there were some things happening at the uh, Olympia brewery that mm-hmm. I was in um, disagreement with so I I quit and uh, went home and told my wife after we just built a really nice house in the waterfront or whatever, <laughs> that I just quit uh, quit Olympia, and she said, well, good for you. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> I said, but honey, I don't know where we're headed. So anyway, I took a look around the uh, uh, city of Olympia and, and uh, just really couldn't find anything that was kind of in my wheelhouse. So a couple of hop companies were wanting me to go to work for them and also some larger breweries that... Um, you know, I would take me out of the Northwest that I wasn't really interested in. So anyway, so I went to work for, uh, Hopsteiner and, uh, found that to be, uh, extremely interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I liked working for those folks and it was good. And I also, I bought uh, a 10 acre uh, vineyard when I was there. So I had, sure. had two jobs. Mm-hmm. I had a, had a day job and my, my night job right. was, uh, growing grapes and, uh, I really got a lesson handed to me because I thought that uh, like brewing that uh, making wine was all about the wine maker it's not it's about the wine grower uh-huh. that's the most important thing and because I've got roots in the in the egg uh, world I uh, pretty quickly figured out what to do and what not to do because well the wine told me what not to do right so mm-hmm. anyway that was a, that was a
1: really great experience. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then uh, you started at Deschutes. What year? Two thousand
2: and four. So okay. I was uh, I was selling hops. I mean, I at it, it Steiner, I was uh, I was doing technical sales. I was selling uh, uh, hops to craft brewers. Mm-hmm. I was uh, running the pellet plant. I was running the. Uh, uh, extract plant, I was running the downstream products uh, plant, so I was doing a lot, and uh, one day Paul Cook from uh, Deschutes called me up and said, hey Larry, you, uh, you're you selling us a lot of hops, and we really appreciate that, but have you ever considered coming to work for uh, for us? And so, anyway, bottom line is I ended up, uh, you know, applying for the job and and uh, working at Deschutes for uh, right about eight years. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Uh, so you have had this long career. A lot of people would have just stayed at Deschutes. It's a nice big brewery. <clears throat> I assume they had a decent retirement package. Uh, <laughs> but you decided you wanted to, to own your own brewery. Yeah. So how, how did that thinking develop? It's interesting. We had just interviewed uh, Paul Arney, who was there with you, and he was also he also left to start his own brewery. Yeah. And I'm always interested to think to hear what what you're thinking at the time
2: so it, it started back in the 80s i mean i um i interviewed for a job at uh, red hook that uh wow. do you know a guy named al triplett mm-hmm. okay so al triplett ended up taking the job <laughs> and uh you know it's just that uh, uh uh you know it just didn't work out between myself and, and red hook i had our pretty lucrative job at Olympia, and they were kind of like, well, (laughs) I wasn't wasn't at that point in life where I was ready to really take a a, a real cut and pay, I'll put it that way. And uh, anyway, so it really started there. I mean, I really wanted to do that, and then when, in 1983, I think it was, when... Olympia merged with a Paps Brewing Company. I had to reapply for my job. Mm. Well, I never reapplied. Right. Mm. And I had uh, there were some sales uh, folks that um, wanted to start a brewery. The concept was the uh, steelhead type thing, or the the big rock or uh, rock bottom right. type uh, concept. And we had a had a space in. Uh, Sun Valley, uh, San Diego, and uh, Pasadena all scoped out. We had some pending leases and whatever. But anyway, long story short, it it didn't work out. So I've always kind of been down that uh, pathway, and then kids happened.
1: Ah. Mm -hmm.
2: And you don't take as many risks when you have kids. And so I kind of put that on hold. And then uh, essentially I had—the nice thing about my winery was, or my— my vineyard was, is I dedicated a lot of money that uh, I made there to their education. So education was paid for. And essentially by the time that, um, you know, I was seven, eight years into the shoots, the kids were through school and their education was paid for. So time to take risk again. So that that's how I ended up uh, starting with, with
1: Crux. So. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so tell us about Crux and uh, what you wanted to, what, what you wanted to do there and how that's changed in the eight years. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah, Well, seven years. Yeah. We're seven years now. So boy, that is a question I haven't really thought about, but, um, so, you know, my goal is, is basically make good beer, Uh you know, and it, it, I hate to quote the field of dreams thing, but build they'll come kind of thing and i think that's been the uh, the situation with with Crux. and and you know the vision i had was making really great beers and not really being a um, you know focused on the, the money but focused on the, the product and the money will follow and you know i i am at a place in life where you know I, I don't need the money that much and and i like brewing beer and you know i wanted to, uh, you know, hire some really fantastic folks like like Jason and let them have a run at it and, and really make it happen. And we have. I mean, you've met Cam and, um, well, when we were uh, walking through, Stephanie, our C- CFO, was, is here. I mean, we, we just have a fantastic group of folks. So the vision is, is you know, create a space that... Uh, you know, it's a true public house. People communicate. If you if you go to our pub, there's no TVs there. Yeah. And the phenomenal thing about our pub is is you don't see that many people just stuck in their social media, just doing this kind of thing. People are actually talking, interacting. We we love kids. We love dogs. And you know, the the best thing you can do about Crux <coughs> is go to the the Yelp. Uh, website and take a look at, um, uh, you know, complaints. You know, I don't go to Crux anymore because of all of the um, uh, millennials. I don't go to Crux anymore (laughs) because of all the dogs. I don't go to to Crux anymore because of all the blue hairs. I don't go to, you know, you name it. People have a reason they don't go to Crux. But you go there and you can't get in and it's funny, is the you know the young folks are talking to the old folks, the you know the kids are playing with the dogs. I mean, just you know, it's just it's it's what I wanted wanted to uh, create, and okay. it's it's like I think you when you go there, you'll notice everything is a common table.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: we don't have we've got very few tables that are just you know three or four spots or whatever most of them are tables size what we're talking, we're sitting around and so obviously there's always that opportunity to, hey is that seat taken and all these uh, conversations happen that otherwise wouldn't happen if uh, you know here's your table for two sir type thing mm-hmm. uh, the other thing we've done is right now we have two uh, uh, fire pits so we have one that's a um, you know wood burning and the other one is uh, is a gas gas burning one, but what they all are is a, a spot to come around and unify people. You know where you know you can be sitting on one side of the fire pit and you hear, oh hey, I uh, I skied uh, you know uh, northwest. Uh, today and somebody said oh yeah i skied that was great or oh man i almost bit it on there because of the ice or you know whatever it is yeah and so i think we have created what what the vision has been
1: so it's interesting we're at your production facility which is across town or somewhere I don't, yeah I'm, I'm we're across saying. town exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and you might have said a, a number of other things but you go right to the pub so it seems like uh, the Having created a, a space for people to come together and drink the beer is a big part of the vision. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and so the, the other part of the vision is is you have to have a certain volume to support the family that we've got. Mm-hmm. And you know I believe that to be in that 20,000, 25,000 hectoliter level. And so that's why we that's why we built this uh, this facility. Plus the other thing was is that you know when we built the pub. We had no idea that Ben could support another brew pub mm. right? we 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 totally surprised by uh that occurring <laughs> and, and, and so as yeah, a
1: lot more have opened since you've opened, but you were the fifteenth or something like there were already a lot yeah. of them when you yeah. opened yeah. yeah
2: there were a ton of them yeah. and i mean here's the, here's a picture of uh you know the the pub right now during our annual uh celebration. And uh, you can see, I mean, it's just almost no place to stand. Right. Uh So
1: All these buildings are gone now. uh Oh, interesting. Yeah. So we're looking at a slideshow for those in the podcast. Yeah.
2: So, yeah, so we have, we have, uh, we've got to the point where you couldn't operate. I had, I had big plans of putting outdoor tanks and that type Uh of thing at the pub. Yeah. Well, we got to the point where we can't make malt deliveries because there's too many cars in the right. way. I mean, it is, <laughs> right. You know, I, somebody from Portland would probably go, oh, "Larry, get over it." You know, that <laughs> thing. I, I've got to do that in the street or whatever in in Portland. But, uh, yeah, I'm. Yeah.
1: yeah, well, I think, it's nice to not, shoo the people who are trying to buy your beer away, so you can get a truck in there. Um, yeah, that just makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah. Somebody
2: <laughs> don't want to listen to a great big blower you know, breaking <laughs> their eardrums for two hours <laughs> right. either. So. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, you have questions? Appreciate yeah, well, we
0: talked a little bit uh, before we started recording about the evolution of the craft beer business over the last even five years, but since you've been in business uh, with Crux. Can you talk a little bit about the way the market is now versus how it was when you started? Cans,
2: cans, and cans. cans. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, the I think that when, when Crux started that you know the single serve the bottles glass was everything you know and the space at the supermarket was significant and you know if it came in a bottle it was definitely a higher quality product than was in a can yep and um our friend dale and in oscar blues changed that significantly (laughs) and uh you know it's uh it's 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 changed from, you know, well, I guess I'll try a bottle of that beer to a, a six-pack of cans is the new sample size. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's almost progressed now to a, I don't even want a bottle, I'll take a 16-ounce can or a four-pack of 16-ounce of cans, that's my new... My new sampler, but I would yep. say the the consumers gain more confidence in what we're doing as brewers. I think the quality overall has gone up, mm-hmm. and so it's not like well, I'm laying down a you know a ten dollar bill bill, and I'm not sure what I'm getting. I'm laying down a ten dollar bill, and I'm pretty darn sure this beer is going to be exceptional. Yeah. Right. So I think that that's really really changed. Yeah.
0: Do you feel more pressure to come out with? New beers, different beers than you did before. Oh, absolutely! <laughs>
2: without without a doubt, is the every week and and Jason sitting here and he can he can verify this. But I say innovate or die mm-hmm. to every employee here because yeah. if you don't innovate, I think you're going going to go away. Yeah, yeah. and
0: um, and
1: we're starting to see that a bit. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I think we are.
1: There's another side to this though. You you were at a brewery where you made one beer or you know. Not not very many beers in, in Olympia, mm-hmm. <clears throat> where you get to know that beer intimately, right? You yeah, get a, a, a subtle change in the in the system, something happens. Um, you know, you, the malts you're looking at, the hops, these all affect the way a beer tastes. You know it intimately well. Now breweries are making one-offs. They brew one batch, they put it in a can, they put it out on the market, and they're not dialing these things in over hundreds of batches. They're not getting to know them intimately. You've worked in both of these systems. How do you? How, how does that feel to you?
2: It, it's 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 really strange I mean, <laughs> here here would be a what one of my first jobs at Olympia when I obtained the uh, assistant brewmaster status was uh, I was a project brewmaster hmm. okay so I would I had a, a small little brewery and it was a couple barrels and blah, blah, blah. And I'd make changes. And then I would, uh, you know, give them to the taste panel and say, what do you think? And they go, oh yeah, there's a good direction we'd go. And then, then it was my job to take a, you know, from two barrels to 535 barrels. That was the smallest brew we could make. <laughs> okay. And things didn't go well, right. you know, it just, it didn't work. And so yeah. I ha- we had a kind of a strategic meeting and, and, uh, all of the uh, assistant brewmasters would talk about what they were working on and what they were doing, and I started my my latest speech on on that subject. On well, what we need to do is donate this pilot brewery to Siebel's in uh, Chicago, mm-hmm. and they all looked aghast at me <laughs> and I'd go like, "Why is that, Larry?" And I said, "Well." We're just fooling ourselves, right. You know, we're a, we're a brewery that, uh, you know, makes 65, 70,000 barrels a week. And if we can't blend off a very minor, 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 minor change <laughs> to our, our brewery, or our beer, we're doing something really wrong because we aren't looking at that big radical change. So I went from that thinking to let's make a one-off and see how it flies. Right. Like we made a beer called FM Static, which was a hazy, which we've got a very good friend and investor down in Southern California that would send us beers from a, a certain brewery down there, and it was they were hazy beers, and and we're going like, wow, these are selling down there. Well, okay, let's, <laughs> let's try the market. So anyway, so we made this beer called FM Static, and we shipped it out, and we started getting phone calls like. Wow, this is horrible! What are you <laughs> doing? And we're going like, oh boy, this is what this is what they're drinking in Southern California, yeah. and then we got the phone call from because we sent some beer down to you know, kegs down to Southern California. They're calling, this is fantastic. <laughs> we go like, well, how many do you want? <laughs> so we we essentially had to recall from the Northwest this beer. Well, it sold like hotcakes in Southern California. That is hot.
1: so interesting.
2: So know your audience, yeah. you know, type thing. And mm-hmm. we thought, well, the audience would follow. Yeah. So, you know, we I would say we do the... You know, the the former with our crux pills, mm-hmm. you know, we study, 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 and then we release. We make minor changes and, mm-hmm. you know, improvements. I mean, our goal is to make the best pilsner in the world. And so we we keep working on that all the time and right. what, what works and what doesn't work and such. So, yeah, so it's a, it's a little yin and yang, you know, and, <laughs> and I think that... Uh, I think one of the the problems my my brewers have with me is is how open minded I am. Uh, yeah. I I think they wanted to kill the hazy thing or, you know, to bring guns in and go shoot the people that like hazies. I don't I don't know what it was, but you know, bringing the hazy thing along at Crux has been it's been difficult mm-hmm. because, as a general rule, brewers don't want to make them. Right. Yeah. You know, it's like one of the experiments we did that that uh, Jason's going to laugh here is that. We um, we made a brood, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. gated community, and it <laughs> sold like hotcakes. People <laughs> loved it, and so on and so forth. And then we were kind of going down the pathway of okay, where do we go with the the brood? Are we going to just continue that beer? Are we going to make another one or whatever? And so we have a a uh, meeting every week or every month. It's called what's new. Mm-hmm. And we, we talk about where we go where we're going and what we're doing. And uh, anyway, so at that this meeting we taste a lot of beer. It gets a little out of control, but we, we taste a lot of beer. <laughs> and early in the morning. <laughs> eight eight thirty isn't early. You know, if you don't start drinking in the morning you can't drink all that's, day. You that's know? right.
1: So a wise brewer once said.
2: Yep. And so uh, so anyway, so we discovered that nobody knows what a brute is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A brute is all over the map. Right. It's, uh, yeah. So, yeah. anyway, we are we are backing out of the 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 brute uh, category a mm-hmm. little. But I think the reason brute became so popular is so many brewers went like. Ah, oh, maybe it'll overtake the hazy, uh, and I, yeah. I don't have to make a hazy anymore. <laughs> right, right.
1: It looks a little bit more like a regular IPA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I, I don't
2: object to the hazy, but uh,
1: yeah. So I think as we're sitting here talking, it occurs to me I don't think anybody in brewing, probably, you're certainly in a very select group, has gone from. Has has gone further in their career from making uh, industrial lager at in five hundred barrel batches to the beer we're about to try. Uh, that's, I think that's true. <laughs> <laughs> and
2: I didn't throw out there. I've made millions and millions of barrels of Old English eight hundred. Uh, uh, there you go. Uh, yes. <laughs> Something I don't admit too freely. <laughs>
1: you so with that. we have uh, a beer here that is a part of a a new project that you've begun at Crocs, which is quite interesting and exciting. So why don't you tell us about the project while I uh, open this bottle and start pouring it out.
2: So the, the the project is is what we call a gypsy cool ship and so what we've done is is we've built two tanks. One tank is a 20 hectoliter tank that's meant to transport to a site, so we fill the, uh, this tank up with boiling wort. It's, in, it's insulated, and we fill it up 212 degrees. And once we do that, we transport it to a location that we have interest in, whether it be a hop yard, a apple yard, a apricot yard, a scenic wonderland, and we, at the same time, we bring along a cool ship that's uh, on a trailer. And so what we do is we have a a, uh, a pump and a hose and what we call a beaver tail. Yeah. And we take and we, we pump it through the beaver tail and it sprays out in a very flat spray and hopefully absorbs the... Uh, the local uh, bacteria and yeast from the neighborhood that we're in, and we then let it set overnight, cool down to the temperature that the the yeast and the bacteria will survive at, and then transport it back to the brewery, put it into uh, wood barrels, and let it ferment out. And so So you're
0: you're showing us pictures here of this of beer, this being, beer. Yeah. yeah, 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 and we're drinking that beer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you have a, a truck with the tank pumping into the cool ship. Uh, who guards the cool ship overnight?
2: Oh, the brewers do. Okay, they're, good. They're yeah. armed and dangerous Excellent. with pills. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so, where was this that? this was on our lawn Uh, this is the crux so we we thought nothing more fitting than the very first gypsy cool ship we should do it in our our yard in in bend absolutely yeah and this is actually during uh, the pictures don't really show it but it's during our construction phase of Uh, our uh, of our pub so the yard was pretty well torn up so (laughs) the photographer
1: did a great job of concealing that (laughs) yeah
2: so i mean it was a mess right so anyway so it's a it's a yeah
1: and what we have here is a 3.7 percent kind of you call it a grisette it's a farmhouse wild wild farmhouse beer yeah
2: so basically the roots start in uh, in belgium and northern france kind of a a light uh, refreshing table uh, beer, so we have yeah. Belgian malt from Dingemans in it, and uh, I think we've got some unmalted wheat from the Willamette Valley in it, as well as malted wheat. Mm-hmm.
1: So, so tell us what you taste. I love it. I mean, I I, I,
2: uh, I like the concept of you know low alcohol beer, flavorful beer. I don't think it's a beer I would want to drink in the winter. But now that it's 80, 90 degrees out, I, I would find it extremely uh, refreshing and interesting. I, I find a lot of uh, bread in it. Mm-hmm. I don't find much uh, acetic or lactic in it. I was, I was really thinking that uh, lactic was going to be the main contributor to this, mm-hmm. and it isn't. It, no. it seems like it's a bread. I don't... Um, there could be some sack yeast in here that mm-hmm. found its way in, but I don't, uh, I don't pick it out in the nose. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a lot of barnyard and Yeah,
0: but lovely mild, like a mild brett and very nice mouthfeel. I mean, for a low, low alcohol beer, it's, and very... it's
1: for these kinds of beers, it's relatively young. Did you say it was nine months old? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so the brett has not eaten away the malt. The malt, the malt character still, yeah. It, yeah. you can still taste the malt in it. It's yeah. uh, not bone dry. Yeah. And
2: with the with the weed in it, I mean that's gonna add some mouthfeel. Mm-hmm. And the Belgian malt. I mean it's it started with a pretty good pedigree. It's,
1: it's a really nice nuttle. We breed that in December. There you go. Yeah. Six months. Or whatever, five and a half. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. can't do math, but whatever it is. It was it was just before Christmas, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. cheers. That's a great yeah. beer. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well thanks. That's uh an it exciting is. project. Cheers. Yeah, it. And you're actually going to try to uh, go up country to continue this project uh, before before it gets cold back here. Oh, up ab- ab- country. Absolutely.
2: I mean, when we were when I was in Belgium and I was taking a look at their whole process, I I went to quite a few breweries and kind of scoped out what they were doing because I was quite jealous and. <laughs> Actually, when I I worked for uh, Hopsteiner, I would go over to uh, Germany a couple times a year, and and um, every Friday they would try getting rid of me because I don't know if you know, but the the Germans tend not to work so much on Fridays, <laughs> <laughs> so I think they want to hide that from their American uh, you know counterparts. And one of the places they got rid of me was is they hooked me up with a uh, a German that had the typical. You know, family farm thing. They've got the pigs on one one side. And they've got hop the yards, and they've got the cows, and so on and so forth. And this one had had a brewery, and it was a uh, wood-fired brewery. Mm-hmm. And so my biggest contribution was as I would feed the fire, and the the, uh, the brewmaster would tell me more fire, less fire, whatever. And and uh, anyway, so but he had a had a cool ship up above in the rafters of the of the barn. <coughs> and uh anyway so that's
1: amazing where was that
2: it was uh right uh, between freising and meinberg uh-huh.
1: and uh so yeah there's there's a lot more of that old equipment out in germany than you think there is it's funny there's yeah there's cool ships in germany no one knows about that but they're used to actually cool the word not inoculated
2: oh yeah yeah they in fact they had uh, they had improved it they had some some uh do you know what a um Have you ever seen a um, self-contained refrigeration unit is that sits on top of a... Uh uh, Yeah, okay. So they use them in the milk industry. Yeah. And anyway, they had these where they would have a little compressor and everything that stood just above the thing. So he would... I think he would take and... Speed uh, cooling. (laughs) Yeah. So he he would do his initial cooling, maybe get it down to... 20C or something like that. Then he would transfer it to transfer it and inoculate it, and then he turned on these cooling things, and they were just little, almost looked like British squares. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so so anyway, so that's where a lot of this this thought process started, and I ended up in Belgium. But then, to to circle back to what we're really talking about here is, I'm going like I'm an Oregonian. I do Oregon things, and you know we've got lots of uh, you know, terroir, our, unlike Belgium, our, our, our environment changes as we change altitude and whatever. And there's no reason we can't make really interesting beers, you know, up in the uh, Cascades during the, the summer mm-hmm. or down in the uh, coast in the, in the winter. So that's, right. the, that's the whole concept is, is we, can, we can move this cool ship to wherever we want to harvest uh, bacteria and yeast.
1: Very cool. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. and <clears throat> how often do you think these you're going to do this in a year for people who are interested in following well, this? Well, I want to do one every month. Oh but, wow! But, <laughs> I, I, but my brewers are kind of holding me back. I think we've decided on four. We're going to okay. start start with four, and uh, yeah, so that seems yeah uh, uh, maybe uh, more manageable that way.
2: Yeah, so we're we're starting out a program with the the shoots uh, land trust and. Mm-hmm use some of their property. In fact, on Wednesday we're going to go out and survey some of the property and, and see if, if it's suitable yeah. and it works for them. Cool. Because because obviously we have a little bit of a problem um, with uh, using public land for commercial activities. Because right. we, we, we you know, being an Oregonian, I thought, ah, beaches are public and everything else, right. but yeah, you know, we might have a little problem with uh, legality, so okay. we're we're being very careful on on that. Yeah, interesting.
1: All right, well, we'll follow along that for sure. Yeah, stay tuned. Yeah. Right. So I'm interested, um, just kind of in a con. As we wind this up, to hear, you've been in the beer industry for whatever the however many years that is. Pushing fifty. Pushing fifty. Yep. When, you know, it was a decade before people even really thought about little breweries starting, you know I talked to Robin Kurt and they, they were at the start of it, but they weren't before the start of it, yeah. they, had, they had examples they saw Sierra Nevada, they saw others. What do you make of this, these last 50 years in beer?
2: Oh, I, I, you know I, one of my biggest concerns going into the brewing industry was I was going to be bored to tears mm-hmm. <laughs> and even at Olympia, I was never bored. I was always finding some new, crazy, great thing to do. Um, believe it or not, I mean, this is how much the industry has changed, is when I started with Olympia, it was 120 days from grain to glass. Mm. I mean, their lagering process was amazing. Mm-hmm. And when I left, I think, you know, I'd taken it down to like 14 days. Whoa. Yeah, and that's what, what all the big, big guys are right now. They're, some of them could be down as far as 10 days. I don't, I don't know. I've kind of lost touch with, with what they're doing. But with that kind of change within the industry, and I don't, um, you know, the, the thing that allowed the reduction in time was obviously technology, but a lot of it was just, you know, people talk about, well, Larry, why don't you brew a beer like you used to? okay, well, get me a truckload of uh, Larker malt, would you? <laughs> like, oh, what's Larker malt? Exactly. You know, I yeah. mean, the the malt quality has increased tremendously. The, the uh, you know, my my God, they were still burning brimstone at Great Western Malding when <laughs> I used to go down and do tours. You know, I mean, you, you can't do that anymore, <laughs> you know, type thing. And so, you know, the industry has changed some of it's been way for the better some of it has been for the worst and so on and so forth so you know that part of it to me the um you know making beer as close to water as possible has been just disgusting I mean I, I can't I can't I can get emotional about that <laughs> but you know the the Kurtz and the uh you know the Dan Careys and and uh, you know the uh, Ken Grossmans of the world. I mean, I, I've got all the respect in the world for them, and them really leading the charge and taking us where we are today is fantastic. I mean, it's just like wow. I mean, I I remember going to Europe in the um, in the 70s and the 80s, and them laughing about the American beer scene. Sure. You know, yeah. I mean, it was embarrassing.
1: And rightly so.
2: Right. And now it it it's exactly the same story that I had when I was in 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 school as I had friends that were from Bend and they would when they they admitted they were from Bend, they'd look at the ground. They were were embarrassed. (laughs) Right. And uh, now, I mean, my kids, you know, they they tell people they're from Bend and they just beat their chest, you know. (laughs) And now when I'm in Europe, I can kind of beat my chest on how great beer we make in the United States. Mm -hmm. So from that perspective, that is fantastic. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's
1: been a wholesale turnaround. And the everybody in the rest of the world is making American beers. Yeah. That's hard to believe.
2: Yeah, and who would have ever thought that? And who everybody's using American hops. Who would have ever right. thought that yeah. America would be the hotbed for new varieties of, of uh, hops and such? So yeah. it's, it's pretty gratifying.
1: <clears throat> as someone who's seen all this change, uh, people are a little bit anxious right now because <clears throat> craft beer is not growing as fast as it used to be. It's actually still growing. Uh, How do you regard the current moment in craft beer? Are you as anxious as other people, or uh, having seen it in a longer period of time, do you have a different view?
2: I have two answers. As a brewer, I'm not concerned whatsoever. Mm. As a business owner, I'm very concerned. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, that comment I made earlier about not taking enough business classes, Mm -hmm. I still regret that. Uh And so, you know, I think if you take a look at uh, what happened to Red Hook and Whitmer in the uh, early 90s, you know, the same, same thing occurred um, you know, you've got a different generation of folks buying beer now um, alcohol is in general whether it's whiskey, wine uh, you know seltzers, hard seltzers or whatever have, have changed the landscape uh, quite a bit and where are we going to end up I, I really don't know. I mean, uh, I think at the end of the day, beer is just a very social product, and it will continue to do well. That's my my personal opinion from both uh, a business perspective and a brewer's perspective.
1: All right, and we are back. That was Larry Sidor, uh, whom we thank for uh, giving us the time and uh, sharing part of his life story, which was really an amazing story. Um, before we did that uh, interview, he gave us a wonderful tour of the big production facility they have. He and sure did. Yeah. It's a really interesting brewery, and I think uh, <laughs> is reflective of, every brewery is reflective of the brewer who, who yes. set it up. And and no less uh, Crux, but Larry is an interesting guy and kind of unusual, so it was an interesting tour. Um, yeah. The, Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, I'm stepping on you. But I
0: would just say, because I know what you're about to say, is that it very much is a brewery of someone who's been
1: around the block um, and been in the business a really long time. Yeah, so many brewer, brewery tours that you do with uh, uh, craft brewers, especially younger ones who have just started their brewery, they're walking around, they'll point to something and say, well, this is whatever it is. And uh, at the time, I didn't realize you know, <laughs> that, that, that all my tanks were going to have to be 15 feet or shorter. And if I did this in the future, I'd do it this other way. Right. It's very typical, because it's hard to know everything about a brewing system uh, before you, you get started. But Larry, who has been brewing since the 1970s at facilities of all these different sizes knows exactly what he's doing. And so his brewery, yeah, uh, forty years later, when you're ready to set up your own brewery, you have right. a pretty good idea. <laughs> that's right. So he uses a mash filter, which right. is a particular kind of uh, mash equipment. Uh, it's a, like an accordion with uh, with a, a mesh screen, and you put the the malt in there, and a series of mesh screens, yeah. Yeah, and you you through with pressure, you you push the water through, and uh, it, it gets amazing extraction. Uh, right, and so it's it's something that was developed for industrial-sized breweries, but some smaller breweries do use mash filters. That when we were uh, in Seattle a couple of years ago doing one of these things, we saw a a mash filter the a little 10-barrel brewery that was at the uh, Red Hook Brew Lab. Yep. Uh so that was interesting but even more interesting was he has this special <laughs> milling room where the mill uh and he said it was the he joked about how expensive it was uh, <laughs> to get this thing set up but it um uh, the mill separates the uh endosperm from, from the, the husk, husk. Yeah. and and uh and that's something you can do when you have the mash filter. So he had to have this special uh, milling system set up, which was kind of right. amazing. And, and then, then the
0: husk he can use if he wants. Sometimes you actually add the husk back because it does nice things with the work, and sometimes you don't. Right, and
1: well, when we were touring, I said, so um, are you doing the Did you go for the mash filter because it's, you know, so great on efficiency or what was that? And he said, no, no, no. It's not really about efficiency. It's about control. It gives me the most control over the way that I brew the beer. Oh,
0: that's interesting. But he did also mention that it's uh, uh, ecologically kind of a good idea in his mind because he uh, takes a lot of water to brew a gallon of a gallon, a barrel of beer, uh, it's uh, usually over four to one. Uh, it, yeah. it sometimes is up to like, sometimes it's eight eight or much 10 more. To he one, was yeah. saying like a good modern brewery, like Deschutes might be like five to one and he can get below four to one. Yeah. Um, so it can save a lot of water that way.
1: And, and the other cool thing about that brewery was he, uh, installed, do you remember what the, the building was, it was like some kind of techie thing or something. Yeah.
0: It, yeah. It was, uh, uh, for uh, uh, developing fuel cells, uh, hydrogen fuel cells. and um, That technology seems to have just died with the electric cars, right, with the lithium battery. But for a long time, hydrogen fuel cells was um, uh, was a big deal, and it was a research facility. Yeah. And so they had all of this infrastructure, uh, all of this power, different types and different uh, uh, wattages of power that coming into the building, all these different uh, chemical lines that would come, and each station, he said, would have... Uh, all of the stuff available to the to the person, and the person would be a PhD uh, sitting there. And so he had this really interesting building he he inherited, which had a lot of the stuff already. The power, for example.
1: The one thing it didn't have, and this goes to his long experience, was um, it needed to have a new floor put in. And yeah. he put he put a floor in that has two feet of concrete and rebar. Double and he, double the rebar or something. Yeah. Yeah, just crazy reinforced. And he can put three. If he needs to, he can put three hundred barrel uh, tanks in there. And he's already pre-approved it with the city because uh, it's got all this stuff, so he doesn't have to go back. anytime he's in, he's upgrading his, his equipment and, and installing stuff, he's already good to go because it's all so super reinforced.
0: Yeah, and then the other part of the, of the brewery was the um, uh, the brew house itself, uh, the... Uh, I forget the term of art for the, the, the platform, they call it, the stage. The, the brew deck. The brew deck, thank you very much. Uh, the brew deck itself uh, is this modular structure that he had built locally. Uh, But it's very easy to assemble and disassemble. And if you want to ship it somewhere else, you just take it into little parts and stick it on small trucks and off it goes. Yeah. So he's very practical. He thinks about brewing in decade terms and not in like, what, what am I going to brew next year? He's already thinking about how his brew, his needs might change, technology might change, whatever. He might, you know need to go down to a smaller, up to a bigger, whatever. Uh, it's a very interesting perspective. You don't tend to see that in craft beer very much because most people are towards the beginning rather than the end. Right,
1: and it, one thing that was cool about Larry is despite the fact that he is, we're trying to do the math, he's not a spring chicken, let's just say not a spring <laughs> chicken. Uh, he's really in, engaged and thinking about beer in a in a really forward-looking way. He's trying all different new kinds of beers out, you know, new equipment, and he's really it it's it, it you know sometimes older brewers who've been around a while get a little boutique brewery and they kind of settle in for the for the slow landing and just do whatever they want to do but um larry really seems like a person who's just still uh totally engaged in brewing and pushing it forward and thinking about all the same stuff that a 29 year old brewer would be so yeah. that that was cool and and kind of surprising yeah yeah i i uh
0: i was very impressed which is sort of how kind of open-minded he is about everything just very practical very very experienced but um sort of unflustered i guess about about stuff you know he had the same you know we had the same kind of conversation we had with gary fish just about and about just about almost every brewer these days you have these conversations about where the market is going how you you know uh how you approach the market especially if you're getting uh if you're a bit bigger and you're a bit older uh how you create you you maintain that uh customer base how you maintain that brand uh buzz and all that um he also took us to the original brewery which was a brew pub uh which was my favorite um in our uh earlier podcast where we just overviewed the bend the Ben scene uh, we talked about i talked about that being being my favorite space um it's been recently i guess expanded and upgraded and uh but it's it's a it's a lovely brewery by the way the old brewery it's, it's beautiful it's a really beautiful showcase brewery uh, Cop-
1: copper clad gorgeous yeah it
0: is it's really nice i went and. and, and And made sure i had a good gander at that um and a really nice space just you know good food
1: good beer a good atmosphere yeah and he's a fun guy to hang out with as you would expect and uh we enjoyed i don't know we we probably hung out with him a couple hours
0: uh, yeah, yeah. After after a while, I started going back in the decades and uh, name dropping. It was fascinating to, yes. to listen to the two of you. <laughs> I was really coaxing that out of it so <laughs> it was it was cool. But. Yeah, so we had a really good time. So many thanks to Larry for uh, for showing us around and for being so gracious, uh, a host to us. Yeah, thanks, Larry. all right so uh, this was number two in our series of extra special pods. Uh, on um, you got nowhere else to go, that, that's all there is. Double extra X, special, double extra special, <laughs> double X. All right, <laughs> double extra special <laughs> podcast on uh, uh key and interesting figures in the bend uh, beer scene. So, um, in the subsequent weeks, we'll have a couple more for you, but for now, uh, a few words going out. Please subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher for sure and by now. (laughs)
1: Certainly, (laughs) yes. I'm sure it's there. And wherever
0: you get your podcast, don't forget to rate us and don't forget to review us. It helps other listeners find the pod. Five stars, please. Uh, We're also available on air if you're in the Portland area on X-Ray. Apparently Thursday nights. Look for us. Just listen all evening because you should listen to all the stuff. We've got to start teas now. 7 7 p.m. Uh, hopefully still 7 pm maybe seven whatever just turn x-ray on and listen that's right by the you'll find us eventually <laughs> and, and, and when you're not listening to us you listen to other great stuff from the radio station uh, we'd love to hear from you send us your questions comments to uh well you can send them to jeff at jeff at or you can visit us on social media at our new well not so new now are getting <laughs> our established uh Twitter which is beervana pod at beervana pod so you can DM us. You can comment there. Uh, Jeff blogs at the Birvana blog, and he tweets at Birvana. And Patrick uh, tweets
1: at beeronomics and also Birvana Pod. That's right.
0: All right. Uh, well, uh, another pod down. So without beer. So uh, uh, so a high five or something. Oh, right.
1: Yes, because we're good to <laughs> emphasize how old we are.
0: High five. Pretty soon we'll have to do the bro hug. <laughs> oh All right. boy. Uh, cheers, Jeff. All right, cheers, Patrick.